Hello and a warm welcome to The Gold Podcast. I'm Mark Koskila and I'm back with my co-host and the editor of Gold, Helena Beer. How are you doing, Helena? Yes, good, thanks. Nice to be reunited in the studio again. How are you? Yes, very well, thank you. And it's great to be back in the studio. For this week's episode, we've got one very key focus, haven't we? Yes, we're focusing wholly on biotech this week. It's a subject we covered in our latest issue of Gold in the feature, A Big Boom in Biotech. And assistant editor Isabel O'Brien and I will be discussing this later in the episode. I also had the pleasure of talking to Claire Skentelbury, who is Director General of Europa Bio. She had so many fascinating insights into the world of biotech. She's got passion by the bucket load. She certainly has. And I've had a sneak peek of the interview and it's such an interesting discussion with so many different facets. But to kick us off, let's have a chat about some biotech news in things you might have missed. So Helena, what's been happening in biotech recently? Yes, so the Belgian clinical stage biopharma company Precyrix has received investment of 80 million euros, which is $87.9 million, to advance its pipeline of precision radiopharmaceuticals. Ruth Davenens, CEO of Precyrix, said that the investment will allow the company to accelerate its growth trajectory and to further validate and broaden the technology platform. The platform focuses on HER2-positive advanced cancers and the radioactive isotopes in the drugs are carried to receptors on the tumours to kill the cancer. These cancers are traditionally very difficult to treat. The company's lead product candidate, CAMH2, is currently in phase one and two trials and the investment will not only accelerate this through the clinical trial stages, it will also fund the development and expansion of Precyrix's pipeline. There's huge potential to address an unmet medical need here, and we'll watch the results of this with great interest. Indeed, we will. Another story that caught my eye was the Massachusetts Biotechnology Council, or MassBio, announcing the five emerging biotech companies that have been chosen to participate in the spring 2022 cohort of MassBioDrive. This is an eight-week program of growth-focused business training with opportunities for networking, access to mentoring, and a stipend award from Bristol-Myers Squibb. The five startups are based across North America, with three in the US and two in Canada. MassBio CEO Joe Boncourt said, From simplifying CAR-T production to developing new therapies for acute kidney injury patients, the MassBioDrive Spring Cohort has enormous potential to address pressing unmet medical needs. When it comes to biotech, success isn't a linear process, nor is it a given, but the support that companies like MassBio and EuropaBio, as we'll hear shortly, um, the support they offer is fantastic, um, especially as it can open so many doors and ultimately offer patients a better quality of life or even a cure. I'm looking forward to sharing this next interview. I caught up with Claire Skentelbury, Director General of Europa Bio, the European Association of Bioindustries, about the next chapter for biotechnology in Europe. Biotech isn't a new concept, but its game has been raised in recent years, particularly as a result of the pandemic. So I wanted to talk to Claire about where the sector is now and what she sees as the future pathway. Let's have a listen. Claire, hi. Thank you so much for joining me on the Gold Podcast today. How are you? I'm very well and thank you very much for asking me. No worries at all. It's great to have you. Um, So we're here to talk about the next chapter for biotechnology in Europe and the potential you see it having based on your insights as Director General at Europa Bio. So let's get started. 
Um, it's clear that there's so much potential for biotech, but to provide a kind of brief overview, what do you envisage the biotech sector contributing to Europe's future and economic footprint? Well, that's a great starting question because biotechnology has always been a frontier technology. So for as long as we've been able to use biological production system and understand biological processes, we've been able to apply biotechnology into sort of healthcare and other products. And it's actually been active in Europe as a commercial activity for quite some time. You know, biotech itself goes back a very long time. But really, we saw an explosion of economic activity in Europe, perhaps 25 or 30 years ago, as small companies started emerging with very innovative products, primarily in healthcare, but more increasingly in other areas as well now. And Often it's quite difficult to measure the exact economic contribution from biotechnology because it's an enabling technology. So in some sectors, such as healthcare, it's quite easy to track because you can say this is a novel diagnostic, this is a novel um, therapeutic. But in others, the technology itself underpins lots of different sectors. So you might look at sort of food production, novel food production, for example, uh, or fuel production, or catalysis, or packaging and materials. It's harder to measure where biotechnology ends up there because those sectors themselves are not considered biotechnology. So in Europa Bio, we commissioned a study to look at how you measured the economic footprint of biotechnology called the WIFOR study. And in 2019, we were able to show that there was almost 40 billion euros in direct and indirect value to the European economy. And for every one job created directly within a biotechnology environment, three additional jobs were created through supporting the delivery of that biotechnology product and process. And so that's gone really across lots of different sectors. I can give you obviously really great examples within healthcare applications right now that we're all incredibly aware of. You only have to look at uh, vaccine production for COVID and the huge output that Europe has had there to see how biotech contributes economically and as well as societally, of course, in this instant. But it's increasingly used in other sectors as well as we understand how we can replace petrochemical derived processes with biological production systems. So it's really key to helping Europe deliver on its Green Deal objectives, helping us become more sustainable and also looking at how we become more sort of food and fuel secure, which I think is a very relevant topic at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. That's really interesting. Thank you for that great overview. I really like the terminology of frontier technology. No, as a, as a diehard Star Trek fan, I'm always very happy to call it a frontier technology. <laughs> That's excellent. So moving on now, um, how far do you think Europe has the infrastructure in place to make the most of cutting edge therapies like gene and cell therapies? That's another great question because, of course, biotechnology doesn't just fall from the sky. You have to produce the products that you are going to use. And we tend to call it, we're increasingly looking at it in terms of biomanufacturing because, of course, it can be applied in lots of different ways. And to undertake biomanufacturing, you need very specialized facilities, initially in small quantities to allow sort of niche test products to be developed. And then you need to scale that up. And that counts for both healthcare applications, but also, you know, large scale manufacturing in other sectors as well, again, such as food and feed sectors. And 
for this, you need specialised, or essentially factory production, um, plus the specialised skills to go with them. So this is a whole new generation of infrastructures and skills that are needed to develop this. And these are very high cost, as you might imagine. But but Europe is really, really well placed to have been doing that because it has excellent earlier stage funding mechanisms. It has regional development programs. You know, you look at the regional strategic development across Europe and it's very strong. So you have seen countries like Belgium, countries like Ireland and other places invest very heavily in developing up um, large scale structures. And that takes a combination of both public and private investment because often where you're looking at validating a novel technology and seeing how it can work that will need a higher level of public engagement uh, particularly if you're trying to develop up a whole region or a cluster around this particular technology but then you'll see you know small companies growing by investing into scale-up facilities and large companies of course making long-term investment decisions for infrastructures And Europe absolutely has to do that because as we saw with the vaccine production, you can't suddenly switch on a factory to make high tech uh, biological production facilities. It already has to be there supported by the skills. You can alter what they're used for. And so we've talked a lot about Europe's sort of sustainable sustainability and agility in manufacture and if you look at the response to global crises such as covid you need to be able to repurpose facilities to switch them from one type of production to another which we can do but you need to have those facilities and the specialized staff in place to start with so we need to always be ready and investing for what may come next and so this is not just crisis response but it's part of building sort of next generation biomanufacturing because it's not a short-term process but it's as Europe fundamentally alters how it produces things to become more sustainable and to make use of the fantastic research that emerges across the continent you will need these facilities to be developed. So Europa Bio itself was founded 26 years ago through a series of national associations for biotechnology because they really wanted, they understood the strength of working together so that each country could achieve more than the sum of their own capability in terms of aligned um, investment and focus and skills development. So our national associations show how critical it is for Europe that you know all the countries are engaged and aligned and moving forward and our national associations now hold an, an annual summit called the next summit and we look there at the different aspects that countries need to address together to be able to deliver you know, at European level and investment into infrastructure is an absolute key thing here because you've got regional development funds you've got um, lots of different funding and strategies for developing up regions and often you will see the ability to manufacture at this scale driven through public investment in strategy first so the national aspect of international and european operation is critical rare diseases are a really good example of where national collaboration and investment into infrastructure make a huge difference to how you manage patients all across europe 
you know, as the name suggests, with rare diseases, not a lot of people have them. So it's actually very difficult to have a critical mass of knowledge or expertise or centres in all countries. It is not like having a cardio unit or an oncology unit. Um, so what Europe has been really good at doing is building up critical mass in expertise in a country. So you might have investment into a specialist centre in one country. And what you can do is then share the expertise across Europe, uh, but also move patients to where they can get that specialist treatment. And that's a really good example of how it's so critical to work across borders and the role of countries in helping to decide where they might invest in specialist infrastructure, because you can't possibly have the same specialist infrastructure in all 27 countries, but you could have it in a few and they are accessible to all. So that's really where Europe can move strongly towards to mobilise its ability to you know to work across borders in terms of the delivery of effective healthcare. So um, Europa Bio directly and indirectly represents over 2,600 biotech companies and um, 2,300 of those are small and medium-sized enterprises. Um, in your opinion, what do SMEs need to help them secure investment? I've always worked with small companies in my career, you know, having started at sort of the initial boom of the SMEs in Europe back in the day in Cambridge in the UK. And so it was amazing to see what their needs are. And they have very specific needs and they're really different to large scale company needs. Because obviously, whereas a large a large pharmaceutical company will make an investment decision with enough cash flow to know that it's going to be able to do that over a 20-year basis. Small companies do not have the luxury of deep pockets to do that. They always have to be looking for the next source of funding to ensure that they can continue progressing. So their needs are quite immediate. And so what we need to do, what small companies need is to be able to have to be able to attract investment on a regular basis for their, you know, their high input, high risk development pipelines. And to be able to attract that investment, they need to be able to show that their technology is going to continue progressing. So more than anybody else, small companies need a very stable regulatory framework, a framework that is going to allow a small company to progress within it, and to also know that they're going to be able to reach markets and be able to deliver their products to patients or who, to whomever they are selling. So you need they need to be able to show their investors that they have got a they are confident of a pipeline going forward. And so that's the really important part for small companies. And we work with our small companies through our national associations. And this year we're also setting up an SME buyer forum where SME CEOs can come together and highlight the latest challenges that they have so that we can take those challenges and go to national governments, go to the European Commission and go, we need to address this within the legislation framework or within the regulatory framework to enable small companies to progress. And often it's not, it's often literally not rocket science. It's the ability to answer and support questions around novel therapeutics that have never been assessed before. It's the ability to access expert feedback, to design how you're going to develop your product and process so that you know it will get through the regulatory hurdles required so that you have really effective novel technologies that are also really safe and ready for, ready for patients. 
That's great. The the bio forum sounds really interesting. It's such an important development and great that that kind of support can be in place for small businesses, especially ones that have such brilliant innovations coming through. That's exactly it. And it, it's really amazing the level of risk that people will take when they're setting up small companies. You know, mm. these are people that are have got an amazing technology and they are willing to pin everything on it. So people that start up small companies are real champions of the sector because it's often their own personal risk that they're putting into a venture you know so we should SMEs need to be championed and supported every day yeah absolutely if you enjoyed this interview with Claire Skentelberry look out for a special bonus edition of the gold podcast out this Thursday where we'll be sharing an extended edition she had so many fascinating insights and it's a brilliant conversation so do give it a listen Some great insights there from Claire on this frontier technology and the infrastructures and long-term plans that Europe needs to develop and embrace to make the most of it. That's right. I especially liked Claire's comments on needing alignment across the whole continent to optimise the biotech landscape, as well as her thoughts on small and medium-sized enterprises and the supportive bioforum. Such a lot of potential. Indeed, as Claire said, the time is now for biotechnology across all sectors. Next up, Helena is joined by our assistant editor, Isabel O'Brien, for a discussion around the extraordinary rise of biotech seen over the past few years in terms of emerging companies, but also investment and success. This is something you covered in the February issue, I believe, um, Helena. Absolutely. We all know of the most prolific example of a biotech company currently, which is Moderna. Um, Their second quarter sales of 2021 were roughly 6,200% higher than the year before as a result of its hugely successful and effective COVID-19 vaccine. But as Claire alluded to in that interview, there's so much more to this fascinating sector. A Big Boom in Biotech is one of my favourite recent gold articles. It's well worth a read. But for now, let's get into the discussion. Hi Isabel, how are you? Hi Helena, yes, I'm really well, thanks. Looking forward to talking about biotechs today. Absolutely, it's such an interesting topic as we've already heard from Claire. So um, let's kick off. So we are here to chat about our latest biotech feature that we ran in Gold 20. Um, It's called A Big Boom in Biotech. Um, So biotechs have traditionally had quite a a shaky track record, I guess. Mm. Um, What would you say are the main factors that made or make them so volatile in terms of success and failure what did you come across in your feature research okay so obviously all development of drugs is risky there's no getting away from that but with biotechs there is more potential and when i was researching the article something that came up is that from an investor's standpoint biotechnology is a risk-taking enterprise that's how they describe it whereas the pharmaceutical industry it's all about managing and diversifying risk So a pharmaceutical company will have multiple successful drugs in the market, new drugs at various stages of development, and a research arm working on long-term projects. Whereas a biotechnology company is very research science driven, and they're really focusing on applications that are based on breakthrough discoveries. So do you see the sort of difference there? Yeah, absolutely. And another layer of that is that the science involved in biotechnology it's probably some of the most complicated you've got in the pharmaceutical industry. Obviously, it's including cell and gene therapies, things like this. So 
it's more risky just on that basis as well. You kind of don't know what's going to happen because the science is so innovative and new. That's amazing. Great overview there. Thank you. Um, So yes, they are risky, but I guess the potential of them is absolutely vast. There's so much innovation, so much good stuff. Yeah, so absolutely. In the article I quoted, a guy called Jake Rubens, who's the co-founder and chief innovation officer at Tezera Therapeutics, and he put it really, really well. He said, there's no type of medicine that we're aware of besides maybe surgeries to fix a broken bone where a patient can go to the hospital, have a procedure done and be cured for life. And that is really the potential of biotechnology. It's it's massive. It could change everything. And that's what makes it a very exciting area for investors. Absolutely. So the article quotes some data from McKinsey, um, which states that in 2020, global venture capital funding and deals for biotechs reached their highest ever level of $36.6 billion. Um, What did you find to be the most transformative element in terms of the renewed interest in biotechs? Yeah, so what happened was generally before you'd have specialist investors investing in biotechnology purely because it is so complicated, it's difficult to understand. Mm -hmm. But during the pandemic, the profile was completely raised and generalist investors became really interested in this area. So people mainly from the tech sector were coming in. And although the interest of investors like this is quite fleeting, I think it did show what is possible if investors like this do come into the sector and do take that risk. So yeah, it was really transformative. The pandemic was really transformative for biotech itself, but also for the people who were taking an interest in biotech as well. Absolutely. And interestingly, you you mentioned there about um, the the tech sector coming in and and collaborations there, but collaborations kind of among uh, biopharma companies also happened as well. Is that right? Yeah, so in the article, I spoke about this, and it's really about how do we sustain this big boom in biotech when we're thinking about collaboration and collaboration between biotechs in particular. And in the article, I spoke to a lady called Nicole Gaudely, who's the director and head of gene editing therapies at Beam Therapeutics. And she said that what is really important for biotechs is that they should partner with rival companies to ensure widespread access to their creations. So what this actually means in practice Because biotechs are so small, they can't be experts in everything, but they might make discoveries of certain technologies, certain innovations that could actually be really useful in other places. So something that is really important for biotechs to do in the future is to reap additional funds by loaning out their innovations or their technology to other rival companies in areas where they lack prowess. Obviously, you don't want to be directly handing over your best innovations to the competition. But yeah, I think there's many there's many situations where that would be appropriate. Brilliant. So how would you say that biotechs can ensure that they remain agile and unique in the space? Yeah, well, when you have a sort of sector becoming this popular and people taking such an interest in it, obviously there is a risk that this could change it. And I think what is so unique about biotechs is that they are small and agile. And to answer your question, I think biotechs need to remain independent and not become engulfed by larger organisations. Some great insight there. So what would you say are some of the main challenges facing biotechs now? We've discussed all of their great potential and um, the ways in which that they can um, can grow and develop. But what would you say are the, the kind of hurdles that they're facing? It's really getting the technologies out to as many people as possible. And there's a couple of hurdles standing in the way of this. One is cost, um, because these drugs are so innovative, obviously they're incredibly expensive, incredibly hard to justify to payers. So there's a lot of complex issues around that. 
Also, even if healthcare systems could afford the treatments, often there's a complete lack of infrastructure to actually deliver these treatments to patients. We're talking low to middle income countries rather than maybe the UK, Europe, US, that kind of thing. So there's a real danger of these therapies only being available to those who can afford them. And that is something that everyone in the biotech industry really wants to avoid. So, yeah, there needs to be a bit of thought put to that and some solutions need to arise. Absolutely. That's great. Thank you so much for that really interesting insight into the biotech industry. And yes, it will be brilliant to see um, how the biotech industry um, manages those challenges and develops over the coming months and years. And that's all we have time for this week. Thank you so much to Claire Skentalbury for sharing her thoughts on biotech and to Isabel and Helena for your great analysis of the big boom in the biotech feature. Why, thank you, Mark. Um, it's an area that we're bound to come back to time and again, as there are so many continued developments and it'll be exciting to see what the sector achieves in the not too distant future. It'll be a bright one, that's for sure. So that's sadly all we have time for this week. But if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from if you haven't done so already. We'll be back next week with another brilliant episode brought to you by Helena and myself, along with the rest of the Gold team. Take care and it's goodbye from us for now. See you soon.